Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This show is brought to you by the Loyalty and Awards Conference, the leading annual event for loyalty professionals in the travel industry. Make sure to join us this year from the 10th to the 12th of October in Madrid for the perfect mix of inspiring content and exciting awards. Check out loyaltyandawards.com for more information and to register. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. An unusual one, as it's a guest who also has a loyalty podcast like mine. Ian Pringle is a loyalty expert with a background developing loyalty propositions for brands like Virgin Atlantic, Avios and Shell. Ian now operates as part of a global network of loyalty consultants called New World Loyalty who develop loyalty strategies and partnerships focused on adding value to customers and driving business growth. His podcast is quite simply called The Loyalty Podcast, where he enjoys creating debates and discussions about a whole host of loyalty topics. It's a different style of show to mine, which, as you all know, is mainly focused on interviews with the leaders of some of the world's best loyalty programs themselves. We both hope you enjoy listening to this show and to Ian's Loyalty Podcast too. As you'll hear, we both love talking about loyalty and sharing our industry insights with you, our global audience of loyalty marketing professionals. So, Ian Pringle joining me today from the UK. Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hi, Paula. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's super exciting. We've been uh, podcasting about loyalty for an equal amount of time, in fact. So I was just reflecting, we have a combined five years of expertise in terms of talking about this subject. So a wonderful opportunity to share that with the audience. So as the opening question, Ian, um, I always love to ask people, particularly industry professionals like you, what is their favorite loyalty program? So why don't you kick us off and tell me what is your favorite loyalty program? Well, thanks, Paul. It's a really, really difficult one, isn't it? Because um, I'm often asked, what's the best loyalty program? And that's a very different question because every loyalty program has a different purpose and a different reason to be. And therefore, you know, you have to pick the ones that are most effective. But actually, the one I enjoyed most and was, was a member of and loved it was the my local breweries loyalty program which my <laughs> my wife gave me a present for my for my birthday which was membership of this loyalty program and i was a wow. bit like oh this is a bit of a busman's holiday yeah but actually um the the dark star brewery which is a local beer beer manufacturer and it was it was basically a, a subscription program where every month you got a free a free sample of beer and yeah. once every quarter, you had a party at the brewery. Well, when I say a party, they wow. brewed different beers and they brought people along. And it was always between six and nine. They didn't trust us after nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise. I love it. Wow. And, and I loved it. And it was all the good things about loyalty in that it was it was about community and it was about a common sense of ownership of the brand 
and it brought people together and you met the people who actually owned the brewery and it was all the beautiful things about loyalty that yeah. I enjoyed but then funny enough the brewery was then bought out by a, a, a another company who then bought out that company so within within um, a, a space of about six months they had two changes of ownership and mm. by the time it got to the second change of ownership they just closed it down. They didn't understand it. It's, it's another real typical story in loyalty. They yeah. didn't understand it. They didn't know what it did. They didn't know what it how how it drove value to the brand, and so they shut it down. and And it's funny because I got in touch with them and said, "You do know what you're shutting down." This was, you know, yeah. I, I told them my wow. job and I said, "This is the best loyalty program I've ever come across." Yeah, and uh, to no avail. It got closed down much to my my disappointment. Indeed, Ian, and uh, and I hope it provides inspiration to another brewery in your region. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or I now use it as a case study, but it's, unfortunately, it's not a case study that has has long term success. But um, yeah. no, I loved it, and I, I think it's a it's a really good example of how you can get your customers on your side and feel that they are they yeah. are part of your brand. Um, and no, it was a lovely loyalty program. I, I really enjoyed being a member of it and and taking part in it. But also, I think what it does, Ian, is it picks up on, um, as you've already said, the sense of community. And for example, I was talking to somebody this morning in kind of luxury retail, and they're looking at programs and they're not interested, thankfully, in something like a points program, just doesn't fit this market particularly in their segment. And I was talking about things like community and it was just really interesting that I don't think that that's um, valued or respected by management a lot of the time, which no. is what I'm, you know, hearing from your example, exactly. The new owners didn't realize how powerful that was. And it's so easy to do. And mm. I'll give you another really good example recently where um, there was the Wales recently qualified. Well, they didn't quite qualify. They still have to beat Scotland to qualify okay. for the World Cup. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and, and Ukraine, actually, funny enough. So wow. um, they, they, uh, so there was a there was a comedian a welsh comedian being interviewed the other day and he said at the game he cried three times and wow. uh, they they said well what you know so he's being interviewed and he said i cried three times one when they when they won obviously but yeah. the other two times he said it's because the welsh football league have de- decided that they would they would sing this song before the game started not the national anthem there was another welsh national song that mm. they sang before the and he said because they asked the welsh national the, the the welsh fa if they could sing it and the welsh fa said yes and the other thing they said was um they did the the national anthem without any music behind it so they wow. just did it a cappella for the whole yeah. crowd yeah. and he said that's the reason why he cried was because People in the in the Welsh Football Union listened to the fans and did that, whereas the Welsh RFU, the rugby union, have been yeah. asked for years to do it and they've never done it. And yeah. he said, "You felt that the fans had a say in how that 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 yeah. campaign, the whole World Cup campaign, is being run, and that has an impact on the people on the pitch and it has an impact on the people in the crowd. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing, and that's what loyalty is trying to do. Loyalty is trying to get an engagement between your customer base and you as a brand. Yeah. And if you can do that without spending any money, then do that. Totally, you know, totally. Um, that's a it's, brilliant it's really example. Powerful. I, I love it, Ian. And you've reminded me actually, because again, for today, I kind of looked back at all of the shows that I've done and it's very hard to pick a favorite. Um, of course, it's like picking a favorite child, but actually the, one of the ones that really impressed me the most was also in the sporting arena. And it's the first premiership uh, football club in the UK that launched a formal loyalty program beyond the kind of membership and ticketing that I know everybody kind of does. But but Arsenal have built My Arsenal Rewards, 
And, you know, part of it is around the data. Of course, there's a lot of intelligence that they're looking to gather, but also what they're trying to do again is to support the overall team, the atmosphere in the stadium, incentivize mm. their fans, for example, on every day when the games aren't being played. So, you know, I don't know how many days a year Arsenal play a match. Let's say it's 20. There's still 345 days of the year where you want to have a connection with them. Mm. So if you can find a way, for example, to incentivize them to make sure that somebody's in the seat at the match, even if it's a cold Tuesday night rather than a big final game, that was really insightful to me and highly innovative. So, yeah, I think loyalty has so many different purposes and that rugby one is a great one. And I really think sports loyalty is a big up and coming sector where there's a lot more you can do, even alongside the existing, I suppose, emotional loyalty that we've all, I suppose, taken for granted for many years. No, and it's a really good, really good way. I mean, I mean Karen Dumbrell, I used to work with her at Virgin, oh, so brilliant. I knew Karen very well. Yeah, and yeah. I, li- I did listen to that podcast, and I really enjoyed it, actually. And it was funny because, again, it, it supports what we were just talking about in that um, each each football club or each 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 sporting team has a different challenge. Yeah. And uh, that, again, is the beauty of loyalty because at the same time I've been working with other sporting loyalty yeah practice loyalty cool. uh, brands also yeah. different lo- different football brands and sporting brands mm. and they all have different challenges yeah and so you're absolutely right. you know, loyalty yeah. can help help on all sorts of different levels but arsenal's loyalty challenge is very different from other f- premier league football clubs yeah, yeah. because yeah it's, it's interesting really interesting Absolutely. We'll never get bored talking about loyalty. And I, <laughs> I It's think our that, jobs. It's our jobs, Paula. <laughs> it totally is, Ian. And I think that was your first conclusion when uh, when we sat down to say, what have we learned from, you know, talking so publicly, I guess, about this industry that we love for two and a half years. So so I think you've realized that you will never, never get tired talking about it. And that's very true. I mean, I do love, I love my job and I love the industry. And I think there's three real key things about why I love my job and the industry so much is, first of all, our main job is to make people happy, right? We're not there to make people unhappy. We're there to reward people and give them something that they want. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, But then we have to make money from it too. Yeah. I often describe it as being monetizing Father Christmas. Okay. We we give stuff away, (laughs) but we have to do it economically. Yes. Um, yes. And then the third thing is, is that, and that's backed up by data and there's no right or wrong answer. You mm-hmm. know, no, I've never seen anyone prove absolutely categorically the exactly what the return on investment is. And if they have got a measure for return on investment, it yeah. does vary month to month, week to week, hour to hour. And, um, you know, and, and that in itself is an art. And so I love that combination of making people happy. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to do it in an economic way and we, we, we strive to find the best way of measuring success. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I I was I've got a very scientific mind, and uh, and that mm. I that really appeals to me is those yeah. three things. Totally, is, yeah. And and we can strive for success, and that and that gives endless theory, endless options, endless content to talk about. Yeah. Because you know, I could talk about this stuff for hours because it is really challenging. It totally is. And, and for sure, Ian, when I think about, you know, the people I've talked to, certainly that is the biggest challenge that, you know, idea and challenge of can we measure it? Can we yeah. attribute it? You know, causation and correlation are not the same thing. So how do you isolate and attribute, you know, your investment in a loyalty program into, you know, profitable behavior change? So I definitely think there's a lot of people listening to this show and of course your show as well that look to people like us for support, ideas, validation, 
And for me, you know, I do struggle if, um, you know, if I'm being brought in in the past, as you know, I'm not consulting anymore, but brought in to convince people that they should invest in loyalty. I always really struggled with that one, Ian, because I never felt it was appropriate to convince the board that loving your customer was a good idea and that that would require investment. So I always found it a very difficult challenge. I don't know if you've had the same experience. Oh, I've, I've had the same experience all the time. And in fact, <laughs> in, in the last, you know, I maybe consult for maybe 20 different brands in a year. Yeah. And in the last two years, I have recommended to two brands not to do loyalty programs at all. Very good. Um, yeah. And I'll give you a really good example of that is people yeah. assume that loyalty programs are there to reward your most loyal customers, yeah. which is it's rubbish. Because if you've got, I, I had a brand came to me this year and said, I've got, I've got this particular group who come to me religiously. They buy for me religiously. They've bought for me for several years. They are very high value. They buy almost everything in this category from me, but they mm. feel unrewarded. And my response to that was, so what? <laughs> so you tell me that they're giving you loads of money, that they yeah. stay with you, they, they, lo- they love the brand, yeah. and, but they feel unrewarded, but they, they're clearly loyal. So if yeah. you spent any money on that category, you are literally wasting it because they're going yeah. to stay with you anyway. Yeah. And so the, the, my job with them was to find out where they are losing customers and where customers aren't happy and yeah. try to plug that gap that way rather than starting yeah. at the end of saying actually, and, but this is a classic example of saying, you know, you need to, in every loyalty strategy, you need to say, mm-hmm. what are you trying, what, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And where is the best economic benefit for solving that problem? And then measuring it, as you said, you know, but people often focus on measuring cost, which is simple. You know, it's just simply saying how much they're spending on loyalty, how many people in the program, what's the, what's the the, the richness of the reward and how much is the operating cost? And that's all easy to, easy to measure. What's difficult is how much am I actually influencing my customers and how Mm. much they actually change in their behavior and how much is that change of behavior actually worth? And that's the really tricky thing. And you can't, Mm. You can't measure that empirically in many cases. You just have to look at proxies. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. you've reminded me, Ian, of a, of a conversation with the Kempton Hotels. And they actually, again, I suppose, realized that, you know, they simply couldn't measure everything that they wanted to, but they still felt um, an extraordinary commitment to recognizing the, the most loyal customers that they had. No, so that's, they, tr- that's, that's true. That's yeah, true. Uh, yeah. yeah. But um, the way in, fact, did- in fact, in this in this case, the one case I gave you there where they weren't rewarded, they, they told not to reward the customers. They actually decided to reward those very valuable customers. Yeah. But but again, my response was, well, don't try and measure it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Which well, is fine. <laughs> totally. Well, what the Kimpton Hotels guys did, Ian, was they got the senior leadership team around the table. They got a speakerphone and they started and they called some of their top customers and they just shared some words of acknowledgement, of thank yous, and really took some time out, which I thought was extraordinary. So I love that. I really thought it was um, beautiful in its simplicity. And I think particularly guests of that nature will absolutely feel that this isn't normal. I'm definitely really appreciated by this um, by this hotel brand. So I'm pretty sure the people who got those calls will never stay at any other boutique hotel except Kimpton. So yeah, sometimes the simplest ideas work. And in having those calls, the senior management team, if they're bright, will also know that they'll learn a lot about their brand because they have, they're the best brand ambassadors in that they're in there every day and they will tell you the truth about that brand. A hundred percent, Ian. You're absolutely right. Exactly. So yeah, I think if I was the CEO of a big company and had that visibility, it would be wonderful to make that time because again, Mm. there's no such thing as having the time, but making the time, I think is is a great idea. 
So listen to me, uh, I'd love you to talk us through, I suppose, just a bit about your own show, Ian. I know you tend to say that people love a good argument. So tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned this quite early on in that, in that um, when we did the first few few podcasts, um, I, I went out and got feedback, exactly we just said, feedback from people yeah. who I knew had listened yeah. to it and said, what can we do to improve it? And yeah. uh, th- their, their response was, you just agree with each other all the time. And it's very <laughs> difficult in an industry where you do where um where it's a very lonely industry and in that you do your own thing and and for your own brand and then yeah. when you speak to others who have similar experience it's very difficult not to say i agree with that and i agree with that and i agree with that but actually in our podcast we deliberately try in fact i bait my guests at the beginning to disagree with people when they're having the podcast yeah. because it makes them a much more interesting thing to listen to yeah so you know i i try to um get people to say well actually if you've got if you disagree with what someone says because that actually then brings out yeah. more of the depth of the discussion totally. because i often feel that a debate on a subject is much more valuable than mm. listen to everyone than 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 a yeah. Uh, a constant agreement with with things, yeah. um, and 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 that's worked very well since. Although although at the end of the podcast, I always remind my my guests how many times they did agree with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to make them behave. I know, I know. Yeah, and when I reflected back on my own, what I realised, particularly when I listened to the early shows. I think I probably did have that, you know, I suppose inevitable anxiety about making or trying to make the content as compelling as possible. But what I learned is if I'm curious about something, even if it's not on the the plan, then I usually kind of prefer to follow my curiosity and really listen to the guest because I really feel that there's, like you've just alluded to, there's probably underlying thinking behind what somebody's sharing with me. And if I yeah. don't really listen to them very carefully, I probably haven't learned the kind of why behind behind the what or, you know, whatever they're, they're kind of presenting. So I definitely think as podcasters, um, again, I mean, two, two of us doing very different style shows. And of course, I hope everybody listening to this will listen to you and vice versa. But um, yeah, I think healthy, healthy debate is definitely something we can always learn from well and you're right they're very different i think your yours yours brings out a one to a depth of one-to-one discussions which yeah. is really important in, in 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 understanding a particular brand or a particular individual or a particular approach yeah i think what we do is cover off broader subjects where we debate that subject and that's yeah. just two completely different different yeah. um genres and they can perfectly live i i, I really enjoy your podcast and listen to it often so Thank you know, and, you. and they they are they are doing different jobs for the they, same audience Exactly, exactly. And I love the fact you've got 60 years of experience between you all. Oh, well, on a call, (laughs) we generally tend to have... It depends. If, if Craig's listening to that, he has a little bit more experience than that. Okay. <laughs> He's now tipping into We've... 30 years. So um, so wow. what we generally tend to have is, is we generally tend to have um, more than 20 years experience each on a call. Yeah. And, and in that, you really get a depth of knowledge in that, you know, um, this 10,000 hours, I don't know where they get that from because that's, you know, six years in loyalty. And if I took my... If I took what I knew in my six years of loyalty compared to what I know now, it yeah. wouldn't even scratch the surface. Yeah. Um, and so, where we when we get a group of people debating a subject, it's depth of knowledge on that subject that you would get. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what brings out the the, the agreement and often disagreement about certain things because mm. you know um, we've had some lovely debates about things like how does redemption impact collection and. Yeah. You know, these things, every loyalty professional needs to know. What does a redemption in your program drive the, the future behaviors? Yeah. And I've seen it drive all sorts of things in different programs. And it really depends on which program you're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and what I think that does is, Ian, it not only equips the loyalty marketer who's listening to our shows with something to reflect on themselves, but I also think it does is it pre- prepares them for when the conversation comes up at a more senior level. Yeah. So I do think it's important to provoke our thinking. So I, I think as a community, we share this love of the customer we talked about, this intention to take care of them in a way that's profitable to the business, but also like for me, like innovation is extremely important because I really feel there's a lot of very boring stuff out there. You know, if, if anybody else asks me to sign up for a points program and can't articulate the, the, the benefit of the proposition, like I'm, I'm actually a very difficult customer, particularly in a retail <laughs> environment. And I've often said on my show as well, Ian, that, you know, I'm often professionally disappointed when it comes to my birthday every year because I'm paying attention to who's asked for my date of birth. And I know they have internal reasons for doing that. But as a member of that program, I then expect something on my birthday, probably because I've built so many birthday propositions again in my consulting career along the way. But I don't know. Do you have that same experience that, um, you know, things like data are underutilized and people are kind of doing it maybe for, for one reason and forgetting all the other reasons, you know, to do it? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. But at the same time, um, I... <laughs> You're just arguing that. with me now. I'm just going to argue with you. <laughs> no, but I, I really do think that because the... Um because it really depends what the loyalty program is there for. So if you take, for example, Pets at Home in the UK, that mm. program has virtually nothing for the customer. I mean, no, sorry, it does give a, it does give charity do- charity donations to, okay. to to pet charities, but for the individual, other than getting um, sp- your know, personalised rewards, which customers don't really value. Mm. In, a, in if you ask customers what do they what yeah. do they want, and you know, you see many surveys about what they're looking for, they don't really value targeted yeah. offers particularly yeah but that's that program is entirely built on that because what they're trying to do is get a a a, a critical mass of their customers data but mm. if they can do that without rewarding them fair enough mm. and and because that is not the, the what the what they're looking for in that program is an understanding of their customers i guess i've not mm. consulted for them but mm. at the same time is i think the program and the way they do it is very effective at doing that and if they can if they can do that at no cost then happy days yeah. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, in, the, in our in our theories for the year, what we were hoping to see from the year, I think Stuart, Stuart Mellon said he hopes to see an end to useless birthday promotions. <laughs> he um, did. And I'm yes. sorry, I'm sorry <laughs> if that bursts your bottle bubble, but I, yeah. birthday promotions often annoy me from the opposite side because I see them and I, th- I think, what possible commercial benefit are they getting from giving a birthday reward, which has no bearing on the company's <laughs> profit? It's just a random date to you. It's, it's a very important date to you, but for the company, yes. it's yeah. a random date. So why are they? I often think, why are they rewarding that? Commercially, I, I, I think I don't understand. Well, to me, that's the single most important thing that I want as a consumer. <laughs> well, perfect. You know, genuinely, so, so yeah, yeah. perfectly uh, disagreeing with you. And yeah. I'll tell you my thinking. Um, what I don't like on my birthday is when I'm sent a discount offer because mm. I don't want to be sold to on this one special day of the year. And again, one of the things I've learned, I suppose, I did an interview with Bond Brand Loyalty, which I'm sure many people have kind of downloaded their uh, wonderful piece of research every year. But they were talking about, you know, flipping the construct and, you know, that there is a fundamental misunderstanding between the purpose of a loyalty program. 
in that marketers, apparently, I think it was 66% of marketers think that the purpose of a loyalty program is for the customer to be more loyal to them, you know, to spend more on, on all of that. And that is perfectly valid. But actually, what they said is the opposite is true from the member's perspective. Members believe that the purpose of a loyalty program is for the brand to be loyal to me. Yeah, that's true. So how on earth, you know, can we reconcile these two objectives? We have to, as you alluded to earlier, because all of the stakeholders have to feel that this investment is worthwhile, whether I'm investing my time, my data, any of these things, or, 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 you know, actual cost, obviously, from the brand's perspective. But I do love when they say, it's your special day, Paula. Here's a cup of coffee and a cake. For example, there was a program did that here recently in the UAE. I used to do a lot of it when I was running O2 Priority. And it was a wonderful opportunity to, to be seen to be generous, to take the opportunity purely without a commercial agenda and say, Ian, thank you for being a customer of O2 or whoever the brand might be. And here's something from us to you. So there you go. It's, it's, it's yeah. also a way of managing your liability, um, again, from, a, from the technical side, obviously. Sure. Um, because you'd, Surprise and Delight works for lots of programs as long as you can afford it and as long as yeah. that yeah. surprise is is genuinely a surprise because then you don't have to set aside a liability and you can measure the impact. So happy days. Exactly, you know? and, yeah. And thank yous often work better than, than yeah. do this, get that offers. So Totally, you know, totally. See, uh, they, often, um, <laughs> they often perform better, that's for sure. So we actually agree with each other, yeah? Absolutely, we can occasionally. <laughs> it just makes a boring radio. Oh my goodness, no, no I think it's wonderful. No, no. It's wonderful, great. Is there anything that you would say surprised you, Ian, along the way, I suppose, as a, a podcaster? And I'm going to give you one example, which um, I don't think I mentioned to you before, but it really blew my mind. And it was an interview I did with a beauty brand in Australia called Adore Beauty. And they only launched their, their loyalty proposition quite recently uh, from memory, maybe about 18 months ago now. One of these classic, you know, startup in the kitchen selling a bit of skin cream and, you know, it's now a publicly quoted company. So loyalty aside, and this is what blew my mind, Adore Beauty has two podcasts talking about skincare and makeup. And they have had over 2 million downloads. And when I think about the idea of loyalty as an emotion and as a, you know, literally a way to um, to stay engaged with my customer without the actual, as I said, very separate loyalty program, I found the podcast idea to be utterly extraordinary, particularly, I suppose, because the beauty industry to me is entirely visual. It's a YouTube proposition if you're going to invest in content. But there you go. They had a podcast and, uh, you know, literally 2 million downloads, people listening to them talking about beauty. Well, I think, again, that really surprises. We set out at the very beginning, um, I guess, because we were all consultants um, who set it up. We set out a strategy at the beginning and said, this is what we wanted to achieve. And this is what it was for. And who, this is who we're designing it for. And this is what we, what, yeah. this is what the response we want to get. And we, we laid it all out. And within two months, we'd we'd hit those targets, um, wow. and and it amazes me how many people listen to the podcast, enjoy the podcast, and and yeah. get get value from the podcast. Totally, um, yeah. And 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 it, and what's the the really strange thing is when I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience when you meet people who listen to the podcast that often you have not met. So you go to a conference and you you're in the coffee, and people yeah. come over and they say hello and they start to talk to you, <laughs> but they talk to you in a way that's. <laughs> That's that's more familiar than you're expecting because totally. they've listened to you for hours and yes. yet 
You've yeah. never met them before, and it's 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 a bit slightly bizarre feeling. <laughs> I was highly perturbed the first time I had coffee with a listener, and uh, and she's a great girl, and I love her, and she has started her own podcast, and I probably never admitted it to her, but I was so taken aback that she felt like my friend, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> again I was you know meeting somebody for the first time, and you know in a professional way, so yeah, there's a very strange dynamic. And I think I've alluded to this before, um, actually maybe yesterday when we were chatting, to me, there is just an intimacy about the human voice. Yeah. And I think that's why it resonates with the listeners, why they feel comfortable coming up and, and uh, you know, literally talking to us as if we're their friend and as if it's, you know, literally reciprocal. So absolutely, it's very flattering. Um, it's wonderful. Great for the ego. Um, I was at the Loyalty and Awards Conference actually here in Dubai last October. And I think everybody came up to me and said, yes, I listened to your show. And I was kind of blown away because yeah. I really, really hadn't expected that. And I wasn't there in a speaking capacity. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a, a wonderful connection. And, um, yeah, I'm super proud of what we both do. Um, so, yeah, just um, we have to learn to live with our little bit of fame, huh? <laughs> Tiny little bit. Um, and then and then going back to what you said, though, about are you surprised? I'm, I am surprised every week in, in my industry because things come up. You just And it's yeah. the same in marketing anyway. You've got to constantly. And, the, and again, maybe this is the sort of scientific training in me. You've got to constantly be looking out to be surprised, and and for your your um, theories and and um, to be yeah. to be debunked. You've got yes. to do it. And yeah. um, and again, that's in fact we we had a podcast on on blowing on the myths of loyalty and uh, debunking cool. myths of loyalty because yeah. there are so many out there, and they and and you've got to test these things all the time and have your eyes open and your ears open to be told that's what you believe is not right. Totally, totally, um, yeah. And I think we all need to be big enough to um, to invite that that level of challenge into the work that we do. So I, yeah. I fully support that. And one of the ones, I suppose, the final thing I wanted to mention was I did some um, really uh, fascinating interviews with uh, Wharton University. Um, so Professor Pete Fader is the um, the professor of marketing actually there. And he's doing some incredible modeling work. He's a maths major, uh, ex-MIT graduate. And he's developed this whole framework, which is called customer-based corporate valuation. And it's leading edge thinking, um, certainly above my pay grade, I would say. But I think for us, I suppose, advising the industry to have this understanding that investors are increasingly looking for loyalty metrics and um, evidence of how customers are likely to behave long-term, those kind of future expectations, even beyond the customer lifetime value, I suppose, that we're all so familiar with. This idea of valuing a company based on their consumer behavior, to me, is extraordinary. So, so I love the fact that academics are exploring our industry. You know, the private sector, as we know, is doing extraordinary, I suppose, test and learn. Um, and then, of course, there's people like us who love to go around and discuss and talk and learn on an ongoing basis about the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, another great example of that. I, do, I don't know this for, I only know this from what was written in the press was the Pret-a-Manger recent example, which I'm sure you've, you've covered. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
where as I understand it, they as they went into lockdown and as yeah. people exited from the cities, they were finding it difficult to borrow money from the banks. Yeah. Yeah. And so they launched loyalty proposition, which was based on a subscription, yeah. which which then they could say to their banks, look, these customers believe we're still in business. These customers yeah. believe that it's still something valuable to be had. Yeah. And therefore we can borrow against that. And and yeah. it's a, and, and I don't it's not a case study I've worked on, it's just what I've read in the press. But I think yeah. it's a fascinating case study yeah. of saying of saying exactly. Um, you know, where the value is. Um, And I think going back to your question about what you've learned from the loyalty from the podcast as well is, you know, there are some things that I have, that that have been covered over time that now I use as mantras for what in my job, you know, certain things that I've learned. Um, And, and one of those was um, Pavel Loss, you know, he says execution is the only strategy customers see. And he's so true about that. We can, you, every loyalty program has a strategy and every loyalty program has a has a has a you know a form that they've got it head off it's a presentation that they've given to the to the md but actually you know execution what happens at the on the ground is your loyalty program and he's absolutely right about that and i think that loyalty practitioners yeah um should obsess with that and probably set, spend less time looking at that than they perhaps should. And I use that now, since Pavel said that, I use that as a mantra yeah. in everything I do when we go yeah. back to the end of the thing of saying, right, what's the execution? What yeah. are customers actually going to see? Because that's going to be their their experience of the thing. That's very um, wise words, Ian, because I do believe every loyalty practitioner goes out with a very well-intentioned a concept, you know, uh, to build something that's extremely compelling. And sometimes what gets to market after it's been through finance, been through legal, been through who knows what, um, is very often a diluted version of what the intention and the original vision was. So, so you're absolutely right. That clarity of what is experienced by the customer is actually all that matters. And fundamentally, that will dictate exactly the business case, whether it will perform according to what you said it was going to do. So, mm-hmm. Uh, I love Pavel Loss. He's a great, uh, brilliant uh, loyalty mind. He's been on Let's Talk Loyalty as well. And yeah. please God will be again. And I suppose my final one, I suppose words that I have uh, remembered, and it's Tim Tyler down in Ellipsis in Australia. And it was the utter simplicity, Ian. And literally what he said is, customers are your only source of revenue. And I thought, brilliant. They <laughs> so, are. That's very true. That's very true. Super simple. So all of very these true. arguments about why would we spend this money and why, and why I'm just like going, look guys, they're your only source of revenue. You've got to do everything in your power for them. So, and I know that doesn't always mean a loyalty program and we can agree on that for sure. But yeah, I love the, um, the, the other, insights. The, yeah. But the other one I'd say to you about ch- slightly challenging again, being, uh, being, being uh, challenging what you said before about the science. So, you know, uh, again, it's Alan Lyas's words and we, we did a podcast on is, is, is it science or loyalty? Is it science or art? Is, is getting yes. it right science yes. or art? Yeah. And I think it's got to be a combination of both. And his, his words were, anyone can do the science. And it's, yes. tr- and it's true. It's, it's perhaps, um, you know, disingenuous because, you, you, of course, you have people that can do the science better than others and yeah. who have access to more data than others. But in fact, getting loyalty right is about the art of of getting uh, and the creativity of getting the proposition that really resonates with your customer. And I think that's, again, a a, a sort of theme that's been running through this conversation is that, you know, to to really resonate with your customers, um, you have to have some, you have to understand them, but then come up with something where they go, that's brilliant. I love that. And going back to that Dark Star Brewery example, I think that, 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 that personal touch was actually what made the difference there. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. A relationship. You use yeah. the word community. I think certainly mm-hmm. post COVID, the connection. And actually, just to pick up on your uh, case study about Pret a Manger, Ian, I also haven't worked on it. I haven't yet had them on the podcast, but I've written quite a number of articles about them. Um, and my, um, I suppose, learnings through that was. First of all, they're part of a, a huge um, holding company called Jab Holdings. Um, so their sister company is Panera Bread in the United States, who had launched a subscription proposition pre-COVID. But I actually think subscription is the perfect COVID response because my understanding is in times of crisis, people look for certainty. So if you can give them something that is as compelling as unlimited coffee for, I think it's 15 pounds with Pret-a-Manger, the fit is perfect. You know, so um, so they had internal learnings from Panera Bread, who have been on the show, um, extraordinary to invent an F and B physical goods proposition on a subscription basis. I think it's extraordinary, um, and it's been leveraged across some of their European companies as well. So I am quite sure they went to the banks afterwards with that to to kind of help with the cash flow. But I do believe it was much more around just getting the customers in the door um, with a response to the the whole lockdown thing and hopefully getting people out of their homes um, at least once a day to go and enjoy something. So, yeah, I do feel that loyalty is counter cyclical. Um, I got into it after the big recession, 2008. So I do feel Mm. we're... I guess in the in the right place at the right time, hopefully to help all of our listeners to um to learn lots more and do lots more with the loyalty propositions. And subscription is a funny one, isn't it? It's like the tide coming in and out. Is that is that there was a trend in subscriptions many years ago sure. when I first went into loyalty? There was many many subscription propositions, particularly through the banks. Yeah. Um. Now and then the, and then they waned and now they're back again and it's yeah. a bit like flared trousers and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I go, I go back to the, 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 you know, what's the fundamental reason for them? Well, yeah. you know, if you can have a subscription that actually then drives your share of wallet, then happy yeah. days. Absolutely. But if it doesn't start driving share of wallet, then then yeah. you need to consider why why you have it and and mm. whether it's a it's a you know if the if other free options are yeah. having more traction with customers, then you need to you need to the tide needs to go back out again. But we'll yeah. see. I think I, I've I've recommended several subscription programs over over the last mm. few years, and I think they are the yeah. right thing to do for many brands. But again, yeah. it depends what you're trying to do and why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on those parting words, Ian, I have no more kind of questions or, you know, um, big ideas that I wanted to explore today. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? No, I, th- I think I, I think it's great to be on the podcast because I think we do similar things. I think I think we we both have the shared love for loyalty, which we I, I always think it's a good podcast when you could go on for hours, and yeah. I think we could have gone for hours. Totally. I think also there's lots to come. You know, I think that that yeah. certainly I don't think we're I'm I'm done in podcasting. I think there's lots more. Yeah. You know, we've got we've got one coming out soon where we've done on my side about learning about loyalty, which I'm really glad you came on that one for about. Yeah. Um, we've also got ones like open banking. I'm sure you've covered open banking. We, we, we're going to cover that off in the future. No, is I it haven't. Really the future? Yeah. Is it really yeah. the future of loyalty? Who knows? Sure. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about loyalty fraud. I think you've done a thing on fraud before. Yeah, 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 um, a little bit, yeah. Me- measuring ROI is always a t- classic topic. You yeah. know, how do you measure loyalty? Mm. Um, and things like um, FMCG, CPG loyalty, you know, all that sort of thing, which is which yeah. is really non-traditional, you know. Um, so I get th- there's there's loads to come, and, sure. uh, and I'm yeah. really looking forward to to. That these conversations, you know, having more more chat about it. 
indeed. We will keep the, the doors wide open. I'm sure we'll be uh, coming back together to share lots more learnings. So with that said, Ian Pringle, Managing Partner of New World Loyalty and host of the Loyalty Podcast. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you. This show is brought to you by the Australian Loyalty Association, the leading organization for loyalty networking and education in Asia Pacific. Their International Virtual Loyalty Conference will take place on the 25th of August 2022. Register now to hear global experts discuss current trends in loyalty marketing. There will be fantastic networking opportunities, questions and answers, gamification and great prizes to be won. Visit australianloyaltyassociation.com to find out more. so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.